Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Welcome to a fresh episode of Fresh Pulse, part of the IRI Growth Insights podcast series. I'm joined by IRI's fresh expert, Jenna Parker, principal of IRI's Fresh Center of Excellence, and IRI partner, Anna Marie Rorink, president of 210 Analytics, a research company that specializes in food retailing. Ladies, it has been months since we've talked, um, so there's lots to catch up on, and really, can I just say, Q3 just went by. So maybe do you want to start with a couple of highlights from Q3? Oh, absolutely. And uh, I'm glad we're back. We always have uh, so much fun on our podcast. Um, The long and the short of it is that Q3 picked up on the trends that we identified in the second quarter when I do believe we had our last podcast. Uh, So continuing acceleration in inflation was a really big one because that is a little bit of the undercurrent and really all of the other trends that we are seeing. So what I mean by acceleration is if you look at August versus August of 21, September versus 21, each and every time that just goes up a little bit. And the third quarter, we were looking at about 15% inflation across all food and beverages versus that third quarter of 21. But very importantly, because, of course, typically we look year on year, uh, but realistically, we have to look at what is people's buying power and capacity. So when we go back and compare those prices to the third quarter of 19, the pre-pandemic normal, if you will, prices across food and beverages are up 27%. And if we um, have anyone on our audience lucky enough to make 27% more than you did in that third quarter of, uh, of 2019, that's wonderful, but I doubt there are as many of us that are. And so that simply means that there is a lot of pressure on income. And that is really what is driving that dollar unit volume performance across many of the different categories. Jana, is that what you're seeing? Yeah, you know, you just posted on LinkedIn last night about how despite this phenomenal dollar sale growth versus three years ago, our units are only up 1%. And why I say I'm surprised about that, of course, everyone's going, inflation! (laughs) But... The fact that units are only up that much astounds me because we still see that 70 to 80 percent of meals are in the home. And unlike the pandemic, when that was driven due to closure, it's literally driven just because it's how we operate now as society. We're all recording this podcast from our home offices and from talking with our clients, as well as, you know, many of us in other sectors the whole pace of going to an office five days a week is so different. On top of that. It's totally different with how people behave in terms of solving the meal as well. Can I just interject a little bit there? Because you talked about units being up, which I kind of understand. But I think that volume, truly the quantity that we're buying, is down a little bit. Can you, am I reading that right? 
You're spot on. And I love this econ 101 of data geeks today. <laughs> um, but it is an important thing because these things are not linear. And I think that's one of the big things we've found, uh, you know, our analytics side of our house, who obviously are crunching these numbers and in, in economics. The reality is, is that what is driving that is individual packages, i.e., let's say I'm going to the store and I'm going to spend $20 and I need to buy five things. I'll buy five different units right, to accomplish those five things on my list. However, unlike during the pandemic, when we were truly homebound and prices were what we'd been used to, we're not stocking up on quantity or volume. So for example, we see this absolutely in the meat department that the volume on each trip is down from where we have been in 21 and 20, but people are still very much engaged with the department. So they might buy one unit that's one pound to solve that night's dinner needs, but they're not stocking their freezer because they don't know when they're next going to be out. And Anna Rainer, you've studied that. Yeah, and, and I love this conversation because I was at the National Grocers Association a few days ago, and we had this exact conversation. As grocers, it's a scary thing to see that pullback on volume happening and you see people switching to, to smaller packages. And in a way, that is a good case scenario, right? People are still engaged with the category. They're still buying, even though it might be a little bit of a smaller package than we would like. So as grocers or really the entire industry, this is a really important conversation to have. Are you risking being left out of the basket because your package size and therefore your price point is too big? Or do you offer that packet size variety and still have the engagement, even if you make a little bit less? And that, I think, is going to be one of the key conundrums of 2023. As the fresh leader here at IRI, I know, Anne-Marie, you have the blessing of looking across so many categories. One of the things that I think has favored fresh this year is the ability to moderate your volume. So in many categories in the store in fresh is the only place where you can say, I just need enough for tonight. I don't need enough for three weeks. And I think that's really favored fresh. I think the other big thing we've seen in fresh is not to bring up this elephant in the room, but it's the number one thing to talk about channels. So unlike every survey I've done in my two decades now in fresh, where fresh leads the basket and I choose where I buy whatever I buy because of the quality of fresh, because of inflation in 22, people were looking to save money on their entire basket. And so we have really seen some strong increases in fresh food share, especially in meat and produce in super centers discount and club, not because people have suddenly fell in love with the produce and meat at those chains, but because they want the savings, the pennies savings on laundry detergent and chips, and then the fresh isn't so bad, so they're not going to multiple trips. That dual piece of how do I solve my whole basket is really what drives that trend. And then same thing with the units. At the end of the day, if a consumer is saying, I'm going to spend $75, they got to still get all the things they need for that $75. I think you're also pointing to the bifurcation of the population, you know, the haves and the have nots. And we saw that the club channel really increased a lot of membership throughout the pandemic because people were using their stimulus dollars to get the memberships. And so many of those households, even though they might be lower income, are trying to hang on to them. And that's where you get the larger volume, but you get the savings from the volume. So this is, I, I feel like we could talk in circles about this, but <laughs> that just speaks, speaks to the complexity of it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that term bifurcation because I think we're going to see more of that as well. So those who are able to afford quantum discounts, we'll call it AKA, I buy into the future and save money because I buy more than what I need right now, whether that is I'm going to freeze the meat and use it over time, or you know I just buy a larger amount of cookies or chips, whatever it is. But then at the same time, you see that pullback on the unit size for the people who don't have that ability to take advantage of those larger uh, pack sizes that Costco or sometimes even super centers uh, bring to the table. So I think we're really going to see continued shifts in channels, continued shifts in pack size as people are able to react to those different uh, promotions that are out there as well. Because, of course, we're still not back to the promotional level either. Completely agree. And that kind of makes me want to pivot a little bit from channels because we're not seeing the promotions across the board. People are having to go from store to store looking for the deals to in-store. Like, let's talk about some of the different departments because even the manufacturers haven't been um, coming out with the promotions, just very few categories where we see promotions returning to even last year's level, which were still way down from the previous year. But let's talk about what is happening in, in with inflation across some of the different departments that you're tracking. Because it's not even, I mean, I think Anna-Marie, you started out the conversation by talking about inflation versus two or three years ago, which frankly frightens me. But when we in our monthly inflation updates that are available at IRIWorldwide.com, we saw that inflation was up in September of 13.3% in food and beverage. And that is still pretty stunning, but it's not the same across all those departments. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you have the supply chain, inflation, the labor and what have you. But then, of course, certain categories around the store have been hit by a number of other issues. So if we look at chicken and turkey, for instance, you have avian influenza. The issue there is that in typical cases, so cases that have happened over the last decade or so, it's been a fairly quick hit where, yes, we lost inventory, but the a uh, particular strain came and went. What is happening with that is that it's sticking around, it's making a rebound. And so we continue to see that pressure, at least for the time being. Chicken prices are finally going down at wholesale. But um, so you're sitting, you're, you're seeing chicken sit at 20, 25%. Well, on the same time, pork and beef are becoming a little bit more available for the time being. Again, that's going to change. And I look at eggs. I mean, same exact reason. But this is really, too, where you see that influence of how deep does the demand sit? How much of a primary good are you, if you will? Eggs is a beautiful example of that. Eggs have been sitting 40, 50, 60% in price versus a year ago, and yet units are flat. So that really shows, you know, there are many substitutes for eggs, and eggs are such an important part of all these different meal occasions that people absolutely continue to buy them despite that enormous increase. So I know IRI does a lot of work on understanding sensitivity, right, Jana? Yeah, and that's the main conversation because the reality, unlike when we talked earlier in the year where there was a difference between the percent increases in promotion, in price per base or volume, it's really hitting double digits in almost every category now. I mean, you have to hunt to find a category without a increase year over year. and 
that point about where does price matter is when I look at the dollar and volume trends by department where the story changes. So if we're up double digits across every department, you see it in something like meat and produce, right? People will make changes. They're not leaving those departments, but they are making choices and changes about volume and depth of detail that they want to spend on each product. But deli prepared foods or deli in general as a department and for, and bakery as a department are up in dollars and relatively flat in units in a way that other departments like center of store general food are not. And I think what that brings is similar to there's two, two ways that you're less price sensitive. One is your primary good, just as Anna Marie was saying, and eggs are the banner story of that. But we saw it within each of the proteins as well. We've done some extensive switching work here at the Fresh uh, Center of Excellence. And what we've found is not the, there's really a myth that people will say, oh my gosh, I went in for a prime rib and now I'm buying a chicken breast because it's cheaper. We're not seeing that. We're seeing people trade down within proteins. And especially now that promotional activity has come back into meat, you're coming and saying, I want to put beef center of plate. My family likes beef. And then you're buying what's on sale or what's in your price point for the recipe or meal you're planning to make. That doesn't look like it should be happening on paper. And it's absolutely unequivocally what's happening at shelf. But going back to prep and bakery, those are two spaces where this concept of an affordable luxury is really important. And what I mean is it's similar with eggs, right? At the end of the day, it's just a couple dollars more to buy eggs and have breakfast for dinner, which is still cheaper again than making maybe a different dinner. Similarly, if you're going to be taking sandwiches or let's say have sandwiches at home when you're working from home or taking them on the go, yes, you could buy packaged lunch meat, but we're actually seeing incredible strength in deli meat, especially if it's grab and go random weight where you don't have to wait in line at the service counter. That has been the number one biggest story. Everyone calls me and asks about plant-based and all I want to talk about is how when you take the quality of a fresh department and the package size variability that a deli provides you and put that in a convenient package as grab and go has done gangbusters growth, regardless of price. And that's a good place where people are saying, Hey, you know what? This is a couple dollars more, but I can just buy a half a pound as opposed to buying a tub. And I'm getting that quality that I have associated with sandwiches. And by the way, it's still cheaper than something, a sandwich shop out of home. Yeah. That's the way the consumer thinks about the decision, not whether they should buy a tub or a deli meat. We have definitely seen, even with our the work that we do with NPD, our new, um, our new sister company, um, that even with inflation up so high in, in the food that we get at retail, we are still paying three, almost three and a half times for the equivalent at a food service or a restaurant. So it's, you know, people say, oh, food, the inflation isn't up nearly as high in food service. It doesn't matter. It's up and it's mm -hmm. still cost, it's still so much more affordable to eat from home. And I love that you talked about deli and the indulgence or the convenience, because I see it as the convenience part. We might be cooking more at home maybe not by choice, but we're cooking more from home, but we don't, we're not as interested in scratch cooking as we were in early 2020. So I, I want to know what some of those shortcuts are that people are going to. And it sounds like the deli is definitely, you know, stop number one. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Anna Marie? 
Yeah, absolutely. I love your point of uh, the small indulgence, and that can be a little bit of a shortcut on time. It can be a little bit of a uh, helping hand in creating something different. Um, certainly, I think one of the most dangerous stats that is out there right now is when people talk about how are people looking to save. In the chapter three, you typically see I'm cutting back on non-essentials. And many people who are not as familiar with the industry as uh, a lot of us at, at IRI, 210, what have you, think of that as, oh, that must mean that nobody is buying a cupcake or some candy or anything one does not necessarily need in life. In reality, you just heard Jana talking about it. Little indulgences are still very much part of life. And that is a little indulgence to feel happy, a little indulgence to save some time, a little indulgence to eat something different. And that's where we have seen across departments that things like uh, deli trays or prepared entrees, but also uh, cut uh, fruit and vegetables or uh, platters of fruit and vegetables, uh, value added, so marinated or, or prepared meats are doing really well. So it really isn't that race to the bottom. There is no linear path. And at the end of the day, I think as an industry, providing that helping hand in all those different ways in which we can give people a little bit of sanity back are still going to do extremely well. Yeah, that makes me think a lot about how different today's consumer is. So our August Top Trends and Fresh really focused on how shoppers under the age of 40 think differently than, frankly, a lot of <laughs> decision makers who are often over the age of 40. And of course, we talked about digital age and, you know, the, the seamless screens and all that. But really what we talked about is the younger consumer feels le- more vulnerable than the same, than, than let's say an older person felt at that same age. So for example, 31% of people under the age of 40 are not satisfied with their health. In any other time that anyone can benchmark that stat to, when let's say the Gen Xers or the baby boomers were 30, they felt invincible, right? And the other big thing that we saw loud and clear in work with younger consumers is anxiety personal well-being, self-care. And why I bring those things up in a food conversation is because picking up a beautiful cupcake from the in-store bakery or upgrading to an artisan branded take-and-bake garlic loaf is exactly that kind of little escape for a few dollars more that sits squarely with that generation's need to feel less you know, just a little bit more different. And we've all been through the ringer the last three years. And I think given the focus on food at home and the grocery store, people are looking for those little things. And why that's hugely important to bring up for the fresh foods industry is we have prominent placement. I had a client ask me yesterday, how many people do we think walk to the produce department, but don't buy produce? And we came up with something like 40% of shoppers. It was really interesting, right? And you think about bakery as a great example there are probably 70% of shopping trips where somebody doesn't pick up something from the baked goods aisle. How do we use the beauty, the, hey, see me? I know we've shared a lot, Emory, a picture that you took of, do you need a fudge break of a dad with kids crawling all over him next to a fresh fudge? That kind of marketing that really tugs at the occasion, the situation, and the need to indulge or to premiumize your purchase 
it may seem counterintuitive, but right now during inflation, tapping into those heartstrings where things only cost a little bit more is the difference between making it into the basket and not for many of these categories. Yeah, get- really coming up with those extra reasons, right? I was uh, working on a bakery deck and looked at some of those and went through my pictures of the Netherlands where, uh, you know, there's always something to celebrate, it says in bakery, right? Or um, a, a really good example by Coca-Cola, they bought a massive billboard and it was 102 degrees out there and their message was 102 reasons to buy a refreshing Coke. You know, those are just great examples of playing into what is happening in the environment, reading the room, and almost giving people a little bit more permissibility to splurge a little bit on their own sanity and just doing something nice. Which reminds me, we would not be able to talk about premiumization indulgences. You mentioned deli trays, and I have to bring up, we see continued strength in what I call Instagram and TikTok influence in the data. So bar none, what is driving a lot of deli and cheese trends are utilizing charcuterie quality or the concept of meat and cheese platters as a meal, as an everyday escape, as a Netflix and chill. And I think that what we're not seeing is even though I see the volume in dollars, despite price change, continue strength in dried cured meats, also in a lot of the specialty cheeses, as well as accompaniments. We're not necessarily seeing retailers capitalize on that, except for ones that are not traditional grocery. So I have to bring up again how we can connect the digital environment with helping folks find the food that they need for the occasion. The great screenshot video you took it in Aldi, right, Anna Marie, where yep. they had a QR code. They, you know, if you think about it, Aldi's a limited assortment, not known for fresh. All of their meat and cheese packages are pre-packed third party. And what they did was have a QR code where they had Epicurean food rock stars telling you how to combine these products at Aldi into the board of your dreams. And I link about that. And it's been six months since we presented that at IDDBA. And I just have to say, that's the kind of trend I see sticking around long after we're talking about inflation. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really not just selling food, but what else can you do with it? I, um, I hosted a podcast with Chris Dubois um, recently, and we talked about where younger people in particular are getting their inspiration. And it's the social channels that you just mentioned, Jana. It speaks volumes, not only in terms of what um, assortment is going to look like in the future, but to your point, again, the need for retailers to really connect with shoppers across those social channels that they're most engaged with. So to recap today, I, I want to highlight just a couple of the things that, that I heard from both of you. Um, we're still buying fresh, but interestingly, not maybe as much in the traditional grocery stores as we did, you know, at the, let's just say at the height of the pandemic, it's kind of shifted more to mass and club. And that points to that bifurcation of the shopper base, you know, those who can afford to buy the larger volumes for sales do so. And those who are looking for the the lowest price points possible are probably going to be going to, you know, the Walmarts or the dollar stores of the world. Fresh from retail has really fared well during this period of super high inflation, in part, not just because it's the necessary, but because it also offers a lot of premiumizations, a lot of indulgences. Um, Jenna, you mentioned a couple different departments, deli and bakery in particular, where People have permission um, to buy up just a little bit, um, whether it's even healthy little indulgences or more 
premium decadent indulgences. It's it's all there. And again, retailers can capitalize on some of these feelings, some of the experiences, be there as a support mechanism, but really follow the lead of some of these social channels because that's where people are getting their inspiration and their ideas. You can look pretty in the store. You can be a great alluring place, um, but you can also offer up even more inspiration. So with that, I want to thank you both. And please, can we not wait another quarter before we talk with each other? Yeah, we have the holidays. <laughs> holidays are coming up. I'm sure there'll be a lot of questions about fresh. I'm already getting all the questions about turkeys. <laughs> you got it. All right. I'll put it on the books. Thanks to you both. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insight. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.